Jamie Thrower is all about getting real. So in that spirit, I'm going to level with you. I recorded this episode in my bathroom. No, I did not sit on the toilet. I sat on a chair for my dining room table and put my computer on the toilet because I'm classy like that. I recorded this episode in my bathroom because I didn't expect to record it at all. Then Jamie and I started working on this event called Altered, and I was like, okay, yeah, we need to talk. Jamie Thrower owns Studio 13 Photography, and through a combination of stunning photos and just honest-to-God vulnerability, she's got upwards of 11,000 followers on Instagram. More importantly, she's not weird about it. She remembers that what matters most are the individual people behind the cool stat. In this episode, Jamie gives us a preview of what she'll discuss at Altered, the wedding vendor networking event we're co-hosting in Portland, Oregon on Sunday, February 9th. If you like what you hear and want to go to Altered yourself, tickets are on sale now at alteredpdx.com. That's A-L-T-A-R-E-D-P-D-X.com. And now, shameless plug behind us, here's Jamie. Hi, I'm Jamie, and I am the owner of Studio 13 Photography. I'm a photography studio that uh, celebrates the LGBTQ community through photographing weddings, families, individuals, brands, and all, all of the above. That's wonderful. Um, and I mean, you know this, but we know each other because we've been working together on this event, Altered, which I'm sure we'll get into later. But I know just through that work, I mean, I, I'm, I've seen your work. We've talked a little bit about it, but um, how did Studio 13 come to be? I, I have no idea about that story. It's been a long journey for my business. I just celebrated my eight-year uh, freelance or business owner anniversary. Oh my gosh, eight years? Yeah. That's like 30 in, in small business owner time. I know. And um, I jumped into this world like very prematurely without really knowing much about anything and actually thinking that my work was going to be more graphic design related. And photography has always been this huge love of mine, but something that, you know, a lot of well-meaning adults told me not to pursue as a career because artists have a really hard time making any money. And so anyways, I go to, to college, I get a degree in something totally different and then wind up just trying to find a job. I got back into graphic design and to photography kind of as a um, an outlet and then jumped into like deciding I wanted to just be a freelancer and run my own business. So it was a couple, maybe like three or four years of figuring out how I was going to run my business and organize my business. And I was really doing a million different things. I was doing floral design for weddings. I was just basically doing anything anybody would pay me for. And then kind of honed in on my photography it became something that I wanted to offer. And so I kind of cut out all of the other things that I was offering and photography became my main thing. Um, and then I started being a little bit more out in my business. It attracted a few like friends of friends who were asking about wanting a wedding photographer for them, uh, who was also queer identified. And so it kind of clicked in this moment of like, yeah, people are, are wanting, you know, and uh, being able to be present with your photographer on your wedding day is a really vulnerable, intimate thing. And the wedding industry doesn't represent queer couples at all. It's getting a lot better. But back even four years ago, it still wasn't great. 
I mean, marriage equality was only passed in 2015. So I know people say that. And it's like, I mean, it's one of those moments where it's like, I can't believe that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it just blows my mind that that's like such a recent event in history. So then that kind of like propelled more, like obviously there were more LGBTQ couples that were getting married and that were feeling comfortable getting married, but there still was like this lack of representation. And also there were still a lot of people getting turned down um, from vendors saying that they wouldn't work with same-sex couples or queer couples. And then you look at the industry as well. And it's very limited in the visibility to same-sex couples of, like, two men and two women. And, like, what happens when you throw, you know, a trans couple in there or a gender non-conforming or any version of queer? And so people are just looking for someone to f- that they would feel comfortable with. And so that's how... I kind of just decided I was going to purely market myself to my own community. People just started coming my way. And also, like, honestly, when I rebranded to do this, my business coach was like, the first thing you need to do, if this is really what you want to do, and I was scared to niche myself in this way. But she said, take every straight couple off of your Instagram. And I was like, what? Uh, can I do that? Is that okay? And she was like, yeah. I was like, well, there goes like half of my portfolio. But I did it. And so I think now when couples or families or individuals are coming to my Instagram or my website to see themselves fully represented and not just, you know, one token couple somewhere scrolling through like someone's Instagram, like, oh, I found one like from three years ago, they really feel themselves represented, which makes them feel more comfortable. So yeah, so here I am, I think it's been almost four years or four years of um, kind of exclusively serving the LGBTQ community. And it's the best thing I ever did for my business. Interesting that you said that it was it was a decision when you rebranded to that that you know you had a lot of fear about and I can totally understand that because I think there can be such a fear to really be yourself when you run a business particularly if that business business is you it is kind of a one woman or a one person show how have you decided how to be yourself and I, the way the reason I say that is one of the things that I've really admired and watched about your work, mainly through your Instagram is you are very vulnerable and you are, you share a lot, you know, about your life. And I I say that as someone who doesn't live your life. So maybe there's plenty you don't share, but you know, you've been very open about um, grief. You recently got married, you shared your own wedding. Um, How have you navigated that? What to share, what not to share? Yeah, I still get caught in kind of wondering, like, what should I share? What should I keep private? What are things that like, feel good to share. And for the like the harder things, more vulnerable things, I think about the people that I've been inspired by their vulnerability, and to be able to kind of see someone be really honest in a space like Instagram, which is um, primarily most people's highlight reels. And to kind of when you see someone be really honest, um, or vulnerable in that way, it feels really refreshing. And it feels like this kind of collected shared feelings where you hear other people or you see other people or you're experiencing yourself like, yeah, that happened to me too. Or I have felt that way too. Or like, oh yeah, the life of this person that I see on the internet is definitely not perfect. And there's more than just what you see online. And I think that's that I'm always trying to kind of 
remind myself about is that, you know, we look at these little square boxes on, on Instagram of beautiful photos and we kind of forget that there is a real, you know, messy person behind it. We're all just like these messy people because life is messy and complicated and and so I try to like bring a little humanity into it. And I also like continue to get really wonderful messages of support and people who are telling me how meaningful it is to hear me share stories about my grief of losing, losing my parents or what it was like for me and my wife, who are both very femme presenting to navigate the wedding industry or, you know, and then even just like silly things like, you know, how all my animals seem to get along, which blows my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I just I, I really try to not be this brand, but just remind people that I'm a human and I am relatable and my art is something that is so personal to me. So it makes sense for me to be personal as well with it. As of this recording, you know, you have upwards of 11,000 Instagram followers, like, like clearly something's working here. You talk about messages you've received and this is my jaded side in my head, but like, do you ever worry that, that messy is becoming the new brand? The celebrity that comes to mind is Chrissy Teigen, right? I mean, the argument can be made that she has blown up because she is really real and you feel like you're talking to her and she misspells things or shares messy photos or, you know, whatever it might be. Do you ever worry about that at all? I think there's ways that you can do it to feel good. And I think I'm trying to always keep a balance of like showing that I'm a professional, what I do is professional, I run a I'm a business owner, first and foremost, and also a human at the same time. So kind of trying to create that balance of people trusting me that like what I'm doing out here is in, is important and professional and, and something bigger than just who I am as a messy person. Sometimes there's always that, like, how much is too much to share? Sometimes you're like, whoa, all right. Like these in very intense I don't know, everyday life things sometimes where you're like, all right, not everything needs to go on the internet. But also kind of being able to counteract that with with sharing pieces that feel important and that aren't just a highlight reel. Well, this might be a little counterintuitive. So feel free to just be like, yeah, Beth, not, don't, I'm not going to answer that question. But um, do you have an example recently of a moment and you can be vague of like, uh, I'm not going to post this or um, I'm going to post this in a different way or I'm going to wait a few months to post it. Anything like that that comes to mind? I always think about protecting my family because the internet, I'm always reminded that the internet is way beyond what you think are just your followers. And there can be like weird, strange, spammy accounts that sometimes show up. I always want to protect my clients. And then there's also some things that, I don't know, I was reading something, I can't remember who said it, but like sometimes it's really refreshing to just see someone like, hey, I did this and you didn't know that I was doing this. And like, I maybe it was someone was talking about like when Beyonce drop, dropped Lemonade and everyone's like, what? what? When did you do that? And so there's kind of that line of like, yeah, there's some things I'm not going to share yet because I'm not ready. And I want to like wait until that moment feels good. I do some of that with my personal life and and some of that with like some exciting business things that are coming up or some like, shifts in business that um, I'm excited about, but not fully ready to put out there yet. 
Well, Beyonce made me think you may have seen on the internet this past weekend that she sent around all those big orange wardrobe, right. you know, to like her celebrity friends. So I'll just wait for that. Yeah. Um, I, it sounds like you're going to be sending me something. So um, looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, the reason I'm so curious about that line between both the personal and business and the business is personal and that big like gray area is one, because like, I mean, you do see photos like that and you do really connect. Like I've read your Instagram captions and like they've really moved me and I I feel like I've learned a lot about you. So there's both that element of it. And also very selfishly, I'm working on a book that is the the short way to explain it is it's pretty much a memoir of me being a wedding coordinator who then thought she knew it all. And then guess what? She planned her own wedding and this wedding planning thing is hard. Yeah. Yeah. And so (laughs) yeah, (laughs) maybe it can relate. Um, I know we got married like a month apart last year. So uh, I know this is very real for both of us. You know, in writing that book, like I, I say that, you know, the expression dance, like nobody's watching, I'm pretty much writing like nobody's reading, because let's be honest, nobody is yet. It just lives in Google Docs. But you know, I'm writing it because I want people to read it. And um, a lot of those people, I one I will be married to or am married to, and then a lot of them I'm related to. And I, I write these scenes, I write these things that I experienced or felt and I'm like, Oh, my God, I can't imagine this person reading it. So I just, um, I'm just kind of, I feel like collecting right now, like, how do people do this? Because I want to do it because I know it'll help people, but I'm also kind of terrified to do it because I'm worried it will hurt people, you know? Yeah. Well, I've, I've read some things about that as well, because I love writing. One of my like goals for 2020 is to do more personal writing. And a lot of the things that I would write about are very personal and involve people in my life that might yeah might be hard to read and I just kind of like hope that my like people can kind of understand everyone has their own experience through things and kind of the the collective like this story is coming out for this reason and I think also like from what I've read with interviews with writers is like sometimes yeah it's a lot of processing with other people or like being like hey I just want to let you know you're going to be in this book like whether or not you want to read it or not like I think I'm gonna have to call a family meeting I've talked about this with my husband I'm like I think we're just gonna have to like invite everybody over and just be like so FYI um (laughs) I don't know a better way to do it you know because like I tell myself everyone gets redeemed if anything I'm the only one who's not redeemed right and it's like I don't care so much I'm the author of the book but um yeah you know I it's a very ongoing conversation in my own head right now and I'm always like trying to check in with even because my life to a degree is very visual and very much accessible on the internet. I try, I'm trying to always check in with friends and family and, and my wife and, you know, people are like, Hey, like, is this okay that I put this out there? Like, would you rather I not? And then, or like finding ways to be like, look, I really want to like tell this part of our story or this story and you're going to be in it. And like, how do you feel about that? And just trying to like work and reconcile with those kind of things. So you definitely can't make everyone in life happy. And that is one thing for sure. So yeah, no, that's 100%. And I also tell myself that, right, you know, this is my experience. It's very clearly my experience. And everyone's gonna have their own opinion. Even if I transcribed exactly what they said, like, you know, I did enough interviews when I was a working journalist that like, you would directly quote someone and they would write you back after their article published and be like, I didn't say that. Like, well, I got you on tape saying that you did. So you know, people are always going to view reality through their own lens, right? So I want to step back a little bit. You said something earlier that um, really resonated with me about you're both a business owner and a human being. And I think if you don't run your own business, 
that quote might sound really weird, right? Because you're like, well, you have to be a human being to run a business. Immediately you said it and I got it because like I'm thinking about all the calls that I've ever had with a client that we're getting along really well. I really feel like I can help them as a coordinator. You know, I think we're vibing and then I'll get to the part where I quote my price and you know, understandably they'll take a big gasp and be like, oh my God, I, I thought we could do it for $500, which is at the very end of my range, $1,000 less than I charge. And I always feel that that conflict. And I've had countless conversations with my husband about like, oh, should I lower my price? You know, I really want to help them. And, you know, I, I've only been in business three years, you know, but um, during that time, I've, I've realized that unless it's a really special case, I have to I have to pay myself first. I have to be honest about my hours. I can't pay a couple to go to their wedding. I have to make at least minimum wage, you know? So I'm just curious, what, what's been your experience with that? Like, how do you balance those two realities of I own a business, I am also a human being who has feelings and emotions in this world and, and probably in this business because I'm empathetic and love love. I mean, yeah. how do you do it? <laughs> oh gosh, that's I think my number one business struggle, especially pricing because... Um, I'm working with my own community in a community that is more marginalized than most and especially in the wedding industry. So I'm constantly trying to find this delicate balance of like, I need to charge what I'm going to charge to be able to pay myself and live a life that feels good. And also like, that's a work life balance that I can handle, which I'm not good at. <laughs> yeah, particularly as a photographer, because you can book so many on a weekend. I mean, for me, I, I kind of have to be a one one wedding a weekend show, sometimes two, depending. But I know photographers, like, yeah, I understand the volume can get insane. Totally. So it's like balancing, like, how, how am I going to pay myself and make sure that, you know, I'm have enough money to pay my rent and food and gas and all the other things that come along with life? And how do I keep myself accessible to the community that I'm serving that don't always have access to money or higher end money, I guess, and kind of figuring out what the balance is. And especially I'm coming from the Bay Area. Uh, I moved here a little over a year ago where prices were significantly higher um, for everything in the Bay Area. So adjusting my prices, you know, for Oregon couples has been interesting. And I'm just always trying to find a way to like, explain the value of my work, and also explain the value of the invisible work that a lot of people don't think about, you know, you buy a product, if it's a product, and you don't necessarily think about all the people who have touched that product to get it to you. And then when you're booking someone like a photographer, like me, you're not thinking about like, whether or not I'm sitting up at three o'clock in the morning, still editing photos, and all the other things that go along with running a photography business, making sure that I have really good insurance, and like my gear is insured, and my gear is up to date. And, all you know, there's just all these invisible expenses and invisible labor that happens, it's hard to kind of showcase at times in your in your pricing. So someone looks at you know, a eight hour package. And they're like, holy shit, you charge that much per hour. And you're like, no, 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 no. When you break it down to how many hours actually go into producing wedding photography, it becomes much more understandable. One of the hardest things I think as a business owner is staying firm on your pricing and knowing that your pricing is the way it is because of the way that you run your business. And there are going to be 
lots of other businesses that have different pricing than you because they run their businesses differently. They have a different life than you. Maybe they have assistance or maybe they have a lot more free time or maybe they're not doing as many edits as you or whatever it is. Um, So everybody has these kind of different business models, which is also why, you know, in you can think of it in like clothing, like you can buy a $10 t-shirt, you can buy a $50 t-shirt, you know, someone somewhere is selling a $300 t-shirt. And it's just a matter of like, that's what those different business owners are doing. And it's not necessarily, you know, it, it all has to do with how the product is made and, and all the other invisible parts that go along with it. I offer a scholarship for folks who are going through financial hardships or who have like extenuating circumstances that make it hard for them to pay full price for a wedding. And that's something I offer every quarter. Um, And I let people write into me and, and inquire about that. I try to have payment plans to make it more accessible for people who maybe can't throw down a ton of money all at once, but are able to do a couple hundred dollars a month. And yeah, I'm just really trying to like always look at my numbers and find ways to kind of straddle that line of, of like, am I doing a service to myself and making sure I'm taken care of? And am I taking care of my clients and the people that I'm serving? It's kind of funny this week alone, um, I had two um, potential leads. So people that I had done a consultation call with, I'd sent a contract to and both came back. And both of the reasons they gave me was that I was too expensive. And, you know, when I started my business, that really used to bug me, right? I mean, when I started, and I've talked about this on this podcast before, I, I charged seven fifty, right? Which like, you know, if you've never worked in weddings, you hear me like, well, all right, that seems fair. If you worked in weddings, you're like, oh my God, how? You know, I very quickly changed that. Um, at the time, I was able to do it because I had a full-time staff job, you know, so weddings were definitely a side gig. And then as, as they've become more of my full-time gig, and also I began to realize kind of the extent of the work, um, I raised my prices, you know, now charge between 1500 and 2000 for what I break down on my website is about 40 hours of work. So when people now say, I didn't hire you because you're too expensive, I really try and I, I worry sometimes it doesn't come off as sincere, but I mean it very sincerely. I write back and say, I totally hear you. I'm not the right fit for everybody. You know, here are some other resources to consider. And I'm always happy to chat if you want to talk about other ways that you can make, you know, the body of work you're trying to do by hiring coordinator, you can make that happen. And, you know, I make that offer and gosh, I don't think I've ever heard back from anybody that's like, oh yeah, let's talk more, which feels like a dead end to me. Cause it's like, I, I meant that sincerely, like pick my brain, you know, is there a friend that we could, you know, have, is there something that we can offload? Um, do you need someone who's like what I call true day of coordinator who really will just show up to do eight hours of physical labor, you know, whatever it is. Have you ever experienced that with your work? I'm curious. Yes. Um, I'm experiencing that a lot right now because I, I also raised my prices because I was starting to feel really burned out especially last year. And I was doing more traveling than ever still kind of balance this move and having many a huge client base in a different city and different state. It's really, really hard as a business owner to not get stuck in the scarcity mentality and to look at your calendar and be like, Oh, my God, no one's booking or like all these I've gotten three in a row that get my pricing and then go, oh, yeah, I don't think we can make that happen. Even though I specifically state on my website, like this is the range for wedding photography. If you're going to if you're going to book 
you should be expecting to pay anywhere from 3500 to 5500 for a full day of wedding coverage. I think about my own wedding a lot and the things that came up. And I totally understand that pricing is really hard and it's everything adds up really quickly. And suddenly your budget is gone in a matter of instance. And also you can prioritize. And like if something is really important to you or you can't kind of live without it, you find a way to make that work. And there are some people who like absolutely cannot make that work and that's fine. And I have to remind myself that like I have to first and foremost take care of myself. And as much as I would love to shoot everybody's wedding for whatever price they had, uh, because I do like I love what I do and I love being able to celebrate and photograph love, especially queer love. I have to be able to be a a living, breathing person. I have to be able to print for the my family members and uh, my wife and my friends. And when I get into that burned out space, I'm not doing my clients a, a service either. I'm showing up to a wedding feeling like I have nothing to give. And so it's just, I'm trying to kind of trust in the process of like people who really value your work and who can be creative or or find the budget for you it will happen and people who like can't make that budget happen you know there are lots of other photographers that they can go with and and I always also like you I'm trying to send people other businesses and businesses that I trust that have a different business model than mine and just, you know, know that my pricing is this way because I only want to shoot a certain amount of weddings per year and trust that I will hit those numbers. And if not, then I readjust and figure out what to do next. Well, you know, in my ideal world, which any listener of this podcast will already know, you know, couples would get engaged and they would really prioritize, you know, they would pick two or three vendors that like, they really want to pay, maybe not top, top dollar, right? Because that can get insane, but, but more money before, you know, they, they do what we just talked about, you know, they, they end up $10,000 in the hole when really they only were planning to spend 10,000, right? And they haven't even booked anybody, right? This is just a vendor or maybe a caterer, you know, excuse me, a vendor or a caterer, because I really think that's what it comes down to. It's not that, it's not that couples don't necessarily have the money to spend. It's how do we prioritize it? So we actually get the quality and the value we want. And I think the quickest way to get there is, well, we just need to book less, you know, we just need to to pool our money so that we can afford a insert, you know, $2,000 coordinator, or we really want the full meal deal and do $5,500 with Jamie. You know, I mean, it's not that I expect people just to grow money on trees. My, my husband and I couldn't do that. I just, want people to be able to have more information so they can make those educated choices and not scare, you know, not have a scarcity mindset on their own. And I used to think the way to change this is to go to couples. And I still think there's so much room to, to, as a vendor, to help educate and empower couples. That's a lot of my work as a coordinator. But in the past year or so, I've really realized that if we want to see actual you know, sizable change in the wedding industry. It's really about vendors, you know, because vendors can work with between one to 40 to, I don't know if you're really crazy, 52 couples a year, right? A couple a week. 
And those touch points can add up a lot quicker than a couple who's planning a wedding who really their life cycle in the wedding industry is probably, you know, six months to 18 months at the most, right? Maybe they'll be return customers, as I like to joke, but it's probably going to be years or decades from now. So really, if you want to see change, you got you to talk with vendors, which is where the idea of Altered, the event we're working on together, came from. And this being, it sounds like a dirty word, but you know, being a vendor networking event to really get a lot of people in the same room who believe that, like you and I do, that we love what we do, but we really want to see change in our industry. And I'm curious, what attracted you to work with Altered? Beyond just wanting to find community here in Portland, be new, be new to the Portland wedding industry, I have now found that, you know, like you were saying, it's so important for me to find vendors that I love and trust and appreciate and that are like kind of working as a team with me. Because when you find those people, when you find a really kick-ass coordinator or a florist or whomever, you're going to get the references because couples are constantly asking for references from me, you know, and if they're already trusting me and I say like, you have to go with Elizabeth, like there's no one else you should ever have. She's perfect. I'm just going to cut that section and that's just going to be this whole episode, just on a loop. Okay. You sound all right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Then they're already going to have that personal connection or like someone who's vouching for them. That's not just like a random quote on the internet. And you, so you have like, can say I've already worked with this person they're so great. And this is why I love them. So that's really important. But also finding community that like aligns themselves with having higher standards. And which is not to be confused with like fancier weddings, bigger weddings. It's just having these like shared moral values that you bring to the wedding industry, which can be kind of a morally sucking place at times. As I continue to evolve and grow as a person and as a business owner, it's really important for me to be networking and connecting and surrounding myself with business owners that are wanting to also be better and to be growing and to be uplifting each other and create this community where we can make the wedding industry a better place. Yeah. I mean, speaking my language and, you know, I'm really hopeful that when we have the event on, on February 9th, that the people can leave with that feeling because, you know, when I started my business, you know, I kind of fell into the whole part of it as far as like wanting to change the industry. Like I, I didn't start that way, right? I started because I was told that I was good at a set of skills that people would pay me for. Sure. Why not? I didn't make that much money in journalism. Wouldn't hurt to have a side gig. But then as I kind of worked through the industry, I began to realize like, okay, this, this is a toxic place. There's a lot that can be fixed. And even with with that mindset, it, it has taken me, you know, a, a concentrated probably two years out of the three that I've been in business to to even begin to find people who kind of spoke that language with me. And I would say, it, really, just in the last year, has that has that really picked up that I've met honestly a lot of people I've interviewed on this podcast that I'm like, okay, they get it. Like when I talk about the wedding industrial complex, or you know, I talk about why do people only ever send emails to brides if it's a straight couple, or why do people say horrible things like, oh, it's a two bride wedding, you know, like to a lesbian couple. Like they get why this is gross and icky and we need to change it. So that's what I'm really hoping is that people can come to Altered and feel like I'm not crazy anymore. There's other people doing this. There's other people running successful businesses that do this. You know, I'm not the weirdo who's not, you know, booking 900 weddings in a year. You know, I'm trying to go about it a different way and I can be successful in that. Yeah, definitely. 
and building this like really amazing community. Like I, when I started photography, I was so, I don't know, photographers in the area were like so mean to me and like very competitive. It made me not want to connect or network with anyone. And it took a really long time before I ever like many years before I started putting myself out there to connect with other people in the industry. And I think being able to come together as a group and take all the competition out of there and say like, hey, like we all want this space to be better. Like, how can we make it better for ourselves and each other? And like, what are the things going on in your business that you're struggling with? How can I help you? How can you help me? And then, you know, just having that support behind you, but also knowing that you've got these really great vendors as well that you can refer people to. Because for me, the couples that are coming my way, I feel very protective of, and I don't want to refer a gender non-conforming couple to someone who's going to ask them like, Hey brides, like what kind of dresses are you going to wear or misgender them during their wedding or, you know, why aren't you carrying flowers? Stupid stuff like that. Right. So, you know, no one's perfect everyone's learning, everyone's growing. And I think having the space to do that for all of us together is, is really powerful. And the more, the more minds you put together, the more expansive we can get and really actually create some change. I'm excited a lot about the event. But one of the parts I'm most excited about is um, kind of the back half of it. We are going to have all the vendors kind of break into what I call their genres or groups. So, you know, photographers with photographers, florists with florists, coordinators with coordinators. I'm really looking forward to that because we're going to have these structured discussions where, you know, we'll have a moderator for the group that can kind of lead with general, like, this is what we're trying to get out of it. Here are some overall industry questions. And then also questions specific to that type of vendor, which I think could be really exciting because there are things that a bunch of planners are going to think about that um, florists aren't going to think about and vice versa. What parts, what snippets I'm going to overhear? Like, what will people say? Because I'm always learning about what different vendors do to make a wedding go. I learned so much. I mean, even just in the last year, like being inspired by the florists that I've met in Portland, it gave me the inspiration to, for my own wedding, to be like, I am not, I'm going to like locally source flowers. I'm going to try and do it sustainably like we were not gonna be using all this like floral foam or whatever and I did that was something I'd never thought about just as a wedding photographer and knowing that there are florists who are like really committed that are growing their own flowers that are making beautiful things that are not sourcing out of season blooms from wherever that's having to get on a plane and then just sustainability stuff so it's great how much we can all learn from each other. Yeah, 100%. And then, of course, I'm very excited for the first part of the event, too, where we're going to have yourself and, and likely some others kind of talk about different just overall like takeaways people can have to fold into their own businesses. You know, yours is most likely going to be kind of around Instagram. And you sent me when we were working up the copy for the website, you sent me this great line about how the rules of Instagram are made to be broken. And I'd love for you to expand on that a little bit. Like, what did you mean when you say that? What are you hoping people kind of learn from what you'll what you'll talk about? As Instagram has changed and evolved and businesses are using it now as this really important marketing tool, there became all these rules, right, for Instagram that I've heard. 
don't post more than once in a day and black and white photos don't do as well as color photos and make sure your feed looks totally cohesive. Don't do long captions because no one reads them and make sure you have the right hashtags and don't post in the middle of the day because no one will see it and the algorithm, blah, blah, blah. And I've never paid attention to any of that. Because to me, Instagram is just an updated portfolio because, woo, I don't update my website enough. I finally just did it. I feel very proud of it. But, you know, it's this tool that I use now for me to share the stories, which is the whole point of my business. The Instagram posts that are making the most impact or doing well on my account have nothing to do with the time of day I posted or whether or not it's in black and white or whether or not it like totally aligns itself with my feed or I don't know, like there's so many different rules that people put out there. Like I find that the people are connecting with the story behind the photo, the emotion behind the photo, and they're wanting a little bit more than just like a a one line caption or something that feels kind of superficial. So I'm always encouraging people to kind of get real, tell the stories Put the photos that you feel good about on Instagram, not the ones you think are going to be trending. Don't overthink it. You will authentically get people to come to your Instagram by putting the workout that you're proud of instead of just trying to do things for likes or to get reshared or whatever it is. I it's it's not a secret. I'm very happy to talk about it. But I resisted Instagram for my business for a long time. And I actually still don't have an Instagram tied to my wedding coordinating business. I have one tied to this podcast. And there are a lot of reasons that I made that choice. And one of them, if I'm being honest with myself, is because I had so much unresolved baggage from my time as a journalist where, I mean, God, you know, I worked for places where it's like you had to time post publishing at a certain time so that the social could go out and everything had to look the same. Everything had to be cohesive. You know, it needed to be under a certain word count. You had to use these SEO rich words. I mean, as bad as it can be in, in, in the wedding industry, it is also just as bad in journalism in my experience. So, So, you know, I kind of came from that, like, oh my gosh. And the rule I always had for myself was I don't want to go on Instagram. I don't want to use any social media for my business if I don't have anything to say. Because that was really important to me. It's like I felt from my journalism background that like there was just so much spewing into the void that I didn't want to add to that. And it's just been recently with the podcast that I've kind of started to tiptoe back out. And if you look at my Instagram page for the teardown, I mean, it, it doesn't break rules, but it's like very monochromatic. It's very basic. And I look at it and I'm like, oh my God, my journalism editors would have hated this because it's not super authentic. It's not super like edgy or novel, but it's kind of what I can give right now. And with kind of my voice in there, but I'm interested to hear you talk because I feel like that's an evolving discussion with me and what I want to put out in the world. And I love what you said about like, you know, at the end of the day, the stories are what matter because I saw that when I was in journalism, I see that now with the teardown, like, you know, if the content, which can be a dirty word, but in this case, the content, the stories, if they're good, the people will come. Right. And I also like, I am really trying to focus and I very much believe on building a brand and a business that doesn't have to rely on Instagram because Instagram was not, it's an amazing tool. And we love it. And I'm so grateful for it. But I also like, I would 10 times rather a client of mine or a vendor to refer me and say like, you have to work with Jamie because of this, 
than someone just looking at an Insta like an Instagram post of mine somewhere that's been reposted somewhere else that has a hundred likes or whatever it is and be like, oh, I like that picture. I know nothing about it, but like, like I'm going to contact them. Maybe they won't, maybe they will. But I think the meaningful connections are done offline. So when people focus their whole selves onto like, oh, I need more followers. I need more this. I need to like worry so much about Instagram. I remind people that put that energy into connecting in real life with other people. You know, you're right. Like the most qualified leads I get um, are either from clients, right? So friends who are getting married now that previous clients refer um, or they're from vendors. If I get a lead that they're like, I heard about you from so-and-so or you did so-and-so's wedding. I mean, I know that that those people are like already really primed and hyped to talk to me. And it's not that someone that finds me through Google or through Yelp isn't that way. Like a lot of my leads come from Google and I'm able to convert those into paying clients. But the people that already kind of like know who I am and know what I do and have a personal connection with me, even if it's kind of through someone else, those people are much easier to talk to and honestly are going to turn into paying clients a lot faster. Faster. Personally, we just have a better rapport from the beginning. You know, I don't have to learn as much about them because we're already starting on this, like, you kind of get me, I kind of get you footing. So is there anything else you'd like to add about your work with Altered or what you'll be talking about? Well, I'm just really excited to meet some other vendors when I'm there. You know, I've been meeting people in, in small groups, but I'm really looking forward to doing an event like this where I can especially meet other people who are not just photographers, because I think that's really important. And I'm really looking forward to like kind of just creating this big mastermind and learning from everybody, you know, um, as much as I'm excited to speak, I'm more excited to learn from everybody else. So I think that's like a thing that's always important for me in doing networking events or conferences or whatever is like taking the ego out of it. And like we are all our experts in our own different ways. And there's no like hierarchy. Sometimes the, also the wedding industry feels like a little clicky and like just a little. <laughs> so, you know, you're just like, yeah, like, let's just, you know, we're all business owners doing our thing. Like no one's in the cool kids club. Let's all hang out and talk and, and be equals with each other instead of the like, oh, this person who's untouchable and is the teacher and everybody else just has to learn from them. You know, say what you will about marriage rates in America or divorce or whatever, but like, I'm here to tell you, there are plenty of weddings to go around. <laughs> I think people do that sometimes, like fellow vendors do that because they're, you know, we all have numbers that we want to hit, right? I mean, for me this year, it's like, I want to coordinate 20 weddings in 2020, mainly because it's two more than I did last year. And also, isn't that just sound really cool? If I can be like, I did 20 in 2020, but you know, it's like, there are plenty of weddings. So whatever your number is, you know, whether it's 20 or 40 or a hundred, I don't care. There, there's plenty to go around and like coming at it from that place of like, I got to beat out so-and-so or I got to undercut or, you know, I just got to keep getting the numbers. Like, I mean, you and I have both lifted. That is such a quick way to burn out and also like to make no money. And then my very last question for you, I'm going to go back to the very beginning of our, of our conversation. Um, and you had mentioned, you know, you've been freelance, you've run your own business for eight years, which, you know, for someone like me that it's like, you know, I went full time with my own business of April of last year. So I'd done the coordinating business for three years, but I've been flying without a net, which, you know, I say knowing that I have plenty of privilege, which is a net upon a net upon a net. But as far as like not having a staff job or a part-time job, like I did, you know, going full time with the actual coordinating business, it's still very new. 
if you could go back, like what information, what, what facts or clues or details would you give that Jamie of eight years ago about how to run a successful business that you wish you would have known? Um, one, don't quit your day job before you're ready. <laughs> we'll move back in with your mom, which was great and wonderful. I think I spent many, many years trying to imitate other people's work and being kind of swayed by trends. And it's really interesting and very humbling to look back on my work and be like, oh my God, like what was I doing with those like sepia filters and very, very yellow and strange angles or whatever. And also like trusting in that, that like your work is going to get exponentially better each year and like you're going to know more and you're going to have more tools and skills to run your business. So, you know, kind of trusting in that process. And also if I could have started off just really focusing on figuring out who it was that I was and like what my photography meant to me and why I was doing it, I think I maybe would have figured it out a little faster yeah, when people like really feel like you are your own person and you and you're showcasing yourself and you're you're being yourself in your business, um, people are really attracted to that because it's very it's easy to go out and kind of try and copy what other people are doing, but we don't know anything about them and the way their businesses are run or like why that's working for them. And so it's I just think it's really important for all business owners to just sit down every year think about what's important to you, what worked last year, what didn't, what felt good, what didn't, and continue to like grow and stay very true to yourself. And also, it's never bad to be out and proud in your business. <laughs> People will tell you a lot um, that it's like scary or that you should keep your personalized life personal, but I'm not a big believer in that. And I think part of what has attracted so many clients to me is because I am, I share very much of my personal life and, and who I am and being very out alongside my business. So don't be afraid to do that. That was Jamie Thrower of Studio 13 Photography. You can find her work at studio13photography.com and at studio13photography on Instagram. That's 13 as in the Roman numeral, X-I-I-I. Jamie also has a personal Instagram account at Jamie underscore thrower. She encourages you to follow her if you're interested in her various animals and how they get along. And you can also learn about the event we mentioned at alteredpdx.com. We'd love to see you there. You've been listening to The Teardown, a podcast for wedding vendors who've had enough. I'm Elizabeth Kramer, and if you like what you heard, please leave a review for this podcast, follow us on Instagram at teardownpodcast, or email me at elizabeth at elizabethkramer.com. Thank you for listening, and keep fighting. <laughs>